Hello, everyone, and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast Season 4. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you are right now in the world listening, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, this is a series of in-depth chats between myself and some of Swimming Australia and Queensland Swimming's best coaches to get an insight into what makes these mentors and motivators so good at what they do and what's led them to the top of our sport. Hopefully, their stories and philosophies resonate with you, and we can all walk away from these discussions with a little bit more clarity when it comes to the road to success as a swimming coach at any level. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two Joining us today on the show is a man widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the country at the moment and has been for quite some time. He's had a decorated career on pool deck, having success at every single level, including the pinnacle in the Olympic Games. We're extremely fortunate that he's given up his time to talk to us today about all things individual medley. It's a very big welcome to Mr. Michael Bowl. Mate, how are you going? Going well, thank you. Thanks for uh, inviting us along. Absolutely. Now, there's a lot to get through and unpack um, in terms of the individual medley. And I want to first, though, touch on just your own coaching career for a second. Obviously, everyone knows you as, you know, the Olympic gold medalist coach and is synonymous with with success. But, you know, you have been successful at every single level, as I said, national club level, you know, with St. Peter's. How did coaching start for you, though? Where did you start off? Well, yeah, to be honest with you, I had no intention of coaching. I was um, studying physical education at university and uh, I was due to begin my last year and the lady that taught me to swim, Cheryl Humphreys, she swam for Australia back in the 1960s, actually called me up. She was coaching out of university pool uh, in Brisbane at St Lucia and she said, look, I'm, I don't want to coach anymore. I think you'd be a good fit for the program. And I said, look, Cheryl, I've got no intention of wanting to coach. <laughs> yeah. I want to finish off my degree and da-da-da-da-da. And she said, look, at least come down and meet the kids. And she talked me into doing that. And that was 1987. And uh, I've been coaching ever since. Like, I, I really just fell in love with, you know, with, uh, I guess, the challenge of trying to make swimmers better, you know, trying to get improvement trying to take swimmers to levels that they hadn't got to before. And, um, you know, I've got really Cheryl to thank for that. It was just great that she, you know, she held out a hand and got me to to come down. And um, I think my, my wife ended up um, finishing her physical education degree off. And, mm. you know, she, uh, she's been doing that ever since. But uh, I went down the coaching path, which I'm really grateful for. What was it about coaching that you, you found most rewarding when you started? Obviously, you, you you know really enjoyed it once you got into it because you you know you're still doing it to today. So, what did you enjoy most about it when you first started? I think when I first started, it was really you know taking swimmers to levels that they didn't think possible. Um, I think that really motivated me. Like I think a lot of swimmers within the group that I had there, you know, sort of originally didn't really believe that they could go on and do a great job at the state or national championships. And, um, you know, we had swimmers lining up, um, you know, winning state titles and and winning medals at nationals quite quickly, actually, which was really, really good. And I think it just seems to be infectious. That success that you get just seems to permeate really quickly through you know, the first Olympic trials that I went to when I was at that club in 1988, we had a boy just miss the Olympic team. Um, back in those years, 1988, they only took the top four in the 100 freestyle. They didn't take any reserves. Mm-hmm. His name was Warwick Mortensen. He got fifth. Duncan Armstrong was fourth. So he just narrowly missed. And I think as a swimmer, I didn't make it to the Olympics. And that was one of the most frustrating things about my swimming career. And, um, you know, when I had this boy just miss... As part of our program in 88, I thought, bloody hell, I'm going to try and get someone on at the next Olympics. It was a real challenge that um, I set for myself, I guess. 
And uh, we were lucky enough in 1992, the next Olympic Games, to have two of our swimmers make that one. And that was incredibly, uh, you know, rewarding having that happen. Mate, so many of us, uh, you know, have mentors and coaches that we looked up to and, um, you know, for myself and a lot of other coaches out there, you know, you're one of those people that we look up to. For you, though, when you started, you know, who were some of the coaches that helped influence you and, and your style? I think it was probably the coaches that I had when I was swimming, um, you know, Bill Sweetenham, Laurie Lawrence, Dennis Persley when I was at the Institute of Sport in Canberra was, was very influential as well. Coaches that had had success, you know, there was the Bernie Wakefield, who was Susie O'Neill's first coach. Obviously, Scott Volk was there at the Valley Pool. Dennis Cottrell was very high up all the way through my coaching career. Dennis has just been a huge influence on me. Um, you, know, you know, some of the Sydney coaches, the Doug Frosts and those sorts of guys as well. I think, you know, anyone that's just had success, I suppose, I, you know, have a keen ear. I want to hear how they did it, why they did it and how they went about doing what they did it's just you know fascinating hearing you know the backstory sometimes to you know to the successful swimmers that you see you you kind of think it's just a a dream run for them but when you sit down and talk to the coaches you realize some of the hardships that they went through to get those swimmers to that certain level so uh, i i really uh you know sort of admire those coaches that have had that great olympic success and uh, you know even success if someone's had great success at state or national level it's nice to hear their story as well Absolutely. And, you know, so much of what we do is is learning and taking parts of what we like and, and leaving parts that we don't like and then, you know, formulating our own um, philosophies and, and theories, if you will, about, you know, coaching. For yourself, That you know, how long did it take you to really start to find your groove as a coach and say, okay, well, this is my program. This isn't, you know, Bill Sweetnam's or, you know what I mean? How long did it take you till you really felt like, you know, this is mine? Well, I've been doing it now for 33 years, and I reckon probably the last 15 years I've felt a little bit more comfortable with what, you know, I've come up with in terms of what, um, you know, what I think works. And, you know, every year you have disappointments. Not everyone swims well. You know, you try and cast the net across your group and try and get as many people swimming as well as you possibly can. But, you know, you always get those swimmers unfortunately who you don't seem to have success with which is quite frustrating but i think those last 15 years um i feel like i'm starting to get on top of it a little bit better i think you know you're always learning and and uh you know trying to um you know find out how you can do things better mm. i think um i learned that as a very young coach we used to have joe king who was you know one of our best ever coaches in queensland and australia i think in 1992 at the olympics he placed about five or six swimmers on the team for Barcelona. Mm. And he used to lecture at the level one coaching courses and every coaching course that he went to, he'd be there in the front row listening to all the lectures, not just giving his own lecture, yep. but he'd sit there listening. And uh, I sort of said to him one day, I said, oh, Mr. King, you know, why do you sit through all these other lectures? You know, you've been coaching for a long time. He said, son, as soon as you think you know everything, you're on the road downhill really quickly. <laughs> so um, I think that was a good lesson that I – took from him and i think you know you can always always learn from uh you know people that are that are having good success mate you've had success you know in a lot of different events and and strokes you know open water distance freestyle backstroke butterfly was that more about the athletes you had in the program at the time or, or were these events and strokes that yourself you know you were passionate about Oh, I've got to be totally honest. Like, if I if I wouldn't have had the athletes that have walked into the program that have, there's no way that I would have had the success. Like, I think, you know, you've got to have a great athlete that's capable of, um, you know, performing on the big stage, that's got great technique, great temperament, great attitude. There's a whole bunch of different factors that go into producing a great international performance. But it, it you know, stops and starts with the athlete. If you haven't got the cattle that are there in front of you, no matter how good of a coach you think you are, you're not going to have success if you haven't got those those great athletes coming uh, and, you know, bumping into you along the way. So I've been extremely fortunate, you know, with those events and, you know, uh, strokes that you spoke about just before to have, you know, those elite athletes, um, you know, come into, come into my program. 
Now, mate, today's session is on Medley, and you're known for this event with success, um, you know, with, with Stephanie Rice. Um, everyone sees the amazing achievements in Beijing, three gold medals, but what they don't see is the years of development that lead to that success. What do you believe are some of the foundations, you know, required to make a world-class medley swimmer these days? Well, I think a world-class any swimmer, I think, you know, mental toughness, it's hard to define what that is. But, you know, when you coach and you see a lot of swimmers come through your program, it's very evident very quickly. I think, you know, mental toughness um, to me is is sort of first and foremost. Uh, enthusiasm has got to be a lot of enthusiasm, uh, you know, from the athletes who want to come to training and improve and get better. Um, you know, the understanding of the relationship between hard work and success, like a lot of people want to win gold medals domestically and internationally but are not prepared to do what they need to do in the training pool mm. to do that. Um, you know, technique, obviously, in a medley, you've got to have four good strokes. You can't afford to have a weak breaststroke or a weak freestyle or a weak fly or a weak back. You can get away with it somewhat in Australia because the standard isn't quite as high uh, in our nation as it is internationally. So you can have a weakness and and still get away with making teams. But um, I think, you know, you've got to have four sound strokes with good technique um, and you've got to have good skills to boot, you know, good transitional turns from the fly to the back, back to breast, breast to free. I think that's very important as well. Obviously, in the medley, you've got a 400 medley and a 200 metre medley. So the 400 metre medley is a more enduring event. Um, so a love of wanting to do, you know, endurance work and training, you know, trying to develop your 200 butterfly, your 200 backstroke, your 200 breaststroke and your 200 freestyle in order to get a good 400 medley. People think it's the hundreds. Mm -hmm. They have to get better. It's not the hundreds. It's the 200s in that 400 medley that you've got to get better. And, you know, conversely for the 200 medley, it's more of a sprint event. So it's, it's really being good at 50s of each stroke, but plus the hundreds of each stroke. Uh, more importantly, the hundreds, I think, in order to um, to do a really good tournament in medley. Mate, much the same as, as myself, a lot of coaches out there are coaching age group swimmers and, and junior swimmers and developing those athletes. You know, what are some of the things that those guys, including myself, should be doing at the moment to help encourage and develop um, medley swimmers? Well, I think technically, um, you know, having great technique, you know, my theory, I guess, is that you know, the more efficient you can make your swimmers, the less energy expenditure there is when you're swimming fast. So it's being able to develop speed efficiently. Um, you know, with Stephanie, for instance, in the Fauna Medley, you know, she'd go out usually in 60 or 61. If she went out fighting hard mm. to swim 60 or 61, she'd blow up the last 200 metres of the Fauna Medley. But if she went out there with that relaxed speed through the butterfly and was still able to get out in a minute through the first 100, she'd have a lot more petrol in the tank to come home with at the end. So I think, you know, the ability to teach technically proficient strokes, um, but you need to be able to do that with speed as well. So, you know, trying to do stuff in training that promotes efficient swimming but fast swimming, I think is probably the best way that I can explain it. Yeah. Um, so that's not just in butterfly, it's in all the strokes. You know, you want to try and make them as, as technically proficient as you can uh, to, be able, to be able to swim fast, effortlessly, um, you know, with, with uh, great technique. And should they be training medley as a whole event in training or do you think we should be trying to develop each stroke individually? Well, I think you've got to try and do both. I can still remember, and I was only talking to Stephanie about this a few months ago, you know, I said, Steph, did you remember when you first started with me when you were 15, 15 years of age, when our first conversation when I sat down with you, do you remember what I said? And she says, yep. I said, well, what was it? And she said, word for word what I'm about to tell you. Yeah. I actually got on a piece of paper the gold medalist in the 200 medley from uh, the Olympics in 2004. I think Stephanie joined me in 2003 from memory. But I got the the uh, world record, the girl that won the gold medal, and I got her butterfly, her backstroke, her breaststroke, and her freestyle splits from the 200 medley. And I put Alice Mills, who was the Australian record holder's splits there as well, a butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, and freestyle. And then I put Stephanie's butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, and freestyle splits. So she was able to visibly see quite clearly 
that her flying free were exactly the same as the Olympic gold medalist and the Australian record holder. Mm. But it was the backstroke and the breaststroke were the ones that were quite weak. And if she was going to pursue medley, they're the ones that she had to address. So she knew quite quickly that in order for her to improve, she had to strengthen her weaknesses, which in that initial instance were in backstroke and breaststroke. Um, so I think that was the that was the light switching on moment for her. Uh, and when you think that was in 2004 when I had that discussion with her, um, you know, three or four years after that, she went on and won an Olympic gold medal in that event. Mm. And she spent the three or four years, three years or so, in, uh, sort of in between Olympics, maintaining her strengths, which were flying free, but trying to get a backstroke and breaststroke better. So I think, you know, that's what you need to be able to do. If you want to make a transition, whether it's trying to be the best swimmer in the state or best swimmer in your club or best swimmer uh, at nationals when you get old enough to go to nationals and then go on and make Australian teams, it's about, you know, looking at yourself as an individual and looking at your strengths and weaknesses and trying to get trying to get your weaknesses a little bit better. And I think in the medley, that's the good thing about the medley. You've got, you know, quite a bit of time, I guess, to, um, you know, to work on things. Sometimes if you're doing a single stroke, it can be a little bit harder to get improvement, but I think you've got more scope in an event like a 400-meter medley, for instance, where you're taking, you know, four minutes plus to do your event to really target in and try and find areas that you can get huge drops. You sort of touched on it there in terms of, um, you know, improving your weaknesses and, and, you know, keeping strong with, with your strengths. But it sounds easy in, in theory. And obviously, four years later, you'd go on to do it because you had a, a successful Beijing Olympics. But how hard was that? So, you know, planning out your week to make sure that you she was getting a backstroke and breaststroke work in to improve it, but also making sure that her free and fly was still world class and at the top where they needed to be. Yeah, that's the juggling act I think you've got to try and do as a coach. It's trying to cover all the bases. So making sure that, you know, you're doing enough work on the backstroke and breaststroke to get them better. But we probably did a lot more work um, where we did most of our main sets that were actually integrating the whole medley. For instance, if we did a set of, you know, 12 or 16 50s that were best average, she'd go medley order on those. If we were doing 16, she might go one of each, so a fly back breast free. And then she might do two of each. That'll give a 12, four and an eight. And then one of each to finish off the 1650s if we were doing the 1650 set. So we do a lot of work in training where we're transitioning those strokes from one to the other. But having said that, Thursday morning in the early part of the season was usually the morning where we do a lot of stroke drill work. You know, it might be four sets of 850s where Steph might do the first two sets of 850s on a backstroke working on stroke drills mm. and the last two sets of 850s working on the breaststroke. And what I found really helpful, actually, we had a guy swimming in our program <coughs> called Luke Trickett, who was a very good breaststroker. Mm -hmm. And I know that, um, you know, I, I sort of um, used to, whether you want to call it allow, but we used to <laughs> get the swimmers to make comments about each other's technique. And I yeah. think... You've got to be very trusting with who the swimmers are hearing the information yeah, from. Yeah. And Luke was a you know top level Australian breaststroker. He was top three in the country, two twelve, I think it was, from my memory, for a two hundred breaststroke. And Luke pointed out one or two things to Steph, and she just really listened to him very intently. Mm. And if I've got anyone to thank about Stephanie's breaststroke improving, I think Luke had a very very big influence on Stephanie's breaststroke getting a little bit more efficient. So we've got Luke to uh you know thanks for that one so i think it's 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 doing the combination of work in training where you're integrating the work and doing your medley stuff but at the same time i think spending a little bit of time like if we did a pull set on tuesday morning for instance we might get steph to do that backstroke one morning instead of doing freestyle so they're little mm -hmm. things that yeah. we did on the single strokes but i'd say 95 percent of the time the work that she did in training was putting the whole medley together. Hey, what are some of the most important aspects of, of medley training? Well, I think you as a coach, you've got to put variety in. Like, uh, no one likes doing the same session time after time after time. I think, you know, you've got to come up with the roadmap, I guess, as to what you're trying to do as a coach, what you're setting out to achieve um, on, a day, on a session basis on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, 
on a seasonal basis. So you're giving the swimmers direction as to where they're going. And I think that can be a little bit tricky sometimes. Mm. That's the real tricky bit for me at the moment. You know, with us, you know, we were just talking about it before. It's hard when you don't know where the goalposts are. Mm. The only goalposts we've got in at the moment, we're hoping the Olympic Games is going to be the same place, same time in 12 months' time. You know, it's the same date of schedule for this year, but just 12 months later. So that's something to work towards. But for the rest of this year, we've now got six months to go. It's hard to know how hard to be working swimmers if we don't know the events that we're working towards. So that's the most frustrating bit, you know, for me as a coach at the moment, kind of not knowing how hard to be working swimmers at the moment. We're just going quite light at the moment until the path becomes a little bit more clearer. Like, I think you've got to have the ability as a coach to be able to sell to the swimmers, this is where we're going, mm. these are the events that we're working towards, this is how many weeks we've got, and the weeks get broken up into small little cycles, and and what you can do is have good training blocks in the lead-up to those competitions that you've got sort of scheduled in. Um, so I think, you know, you as a coach, whether it's a medley swimmer, you've got to come up with a plan, you know, here's what we're going to do, we're going to start out, with a general preparation where all we're concentrating on is your aerobic level of fitness. We're going to be doing some of this work freestyle. We're going to be doing some of this work medley. But the first two months of this program that we're about to undergo, it's going to be a heavy emphasis on kick, Mm -hmm. which is what we normally do at the start. We do a fair bit of work on our legs at the start of the season, both on a board but also on stationary bikes and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things um, to try and develop good capacity in the legs um, and then we go on to once we get the swimmers to a fairly good level in terms of their aerobic fitness and we start to put a little bit more race pace training in and and the focus of, of, of what we're doing in the latter part of the season is a lot more on race pace type training. Mate, you touched on something just before that uh, I find quite interesting, and I just want to um, ask you a little bit more about it. In terms of programming and and keeping things interesting and and keeping things, you know, constantly sort of changing and adapting uh, and progressing, how important is it to always do that, but also make sure we're still not straying too far away? So not changing just for changing sake, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just think you've got to be creative with what you're doing. Um, You know, I sort of know if I keep giving the same set over and over again, you just know, especially with your senior athletes you've got in your program, if you keep doing the same thing and don't mix it up, it gets very tedious and boring for them. So I try and think of the energy system that I'm working and I try and do it in a different way. So it's not always done the same way. And I think, you know, you've got to be able to do that. I think one of the examples I gave before, you know, the 1650s, where someone like Steph would work them through. She'd go, you know, one day she might go uh, one of each four times three for 16. The next time we did it in two or three weeks' time, she might go one of each, two of each, one of each. Yeah. You know, just try and mix it around that way. But also thinking about, okay, that that set, what we're trying to do there is we're trying to get them swimming, um, double their race distance. Steph was training for a 400 medley, so the volume of the set is 800 metres, being 1650s. So she's getting an overload there. The second overload is the speed that she's working at on those 50s is much faster than 400 metre pace and 200 metre pace. Mm-hmm. She was able to go quite fast on those 50s because they were done on a cycle of one minute and 30 seconds. So it's giving a roughly a minute's rest between each of those 50 metre efforts. And the third overload she was able to get was that her lactate, when we measured her lactate, it was way above her race lactate. So mm. we knew that in a way above race lactate state, she was able to maintain and hold speed. Yeah. If we saw a speed deteriorating as the set went through, I'd go back and think, geez, I haven't got enough aerobic stuff. Maybe that could be one of the reasons why, you know, Stephanie's not holding together. Her base work at the start of the season wasn't at a good enough level her aerobic system hasn't been well enough developed for her to remove lactate efficiently enough. I need to spend another two, three, four weeks on that. Or it might just be, you know, um, this is where you need to have that relationship with your athlete. You need to be able to talk to them and question them and find out if there's any backstory there. You know, maybe she hadn't replenished very well the glycogen from the session before. Mm -hmm. And if her glycogen levels were down too low, she didn't have the energy or the fuel source to be able to do a good, uh, you know, to do a good job on that on that set of fifty. So it's 
it's piecing together and asking yourself as a coach continually, well, why did that happen? Why did that happen? How can I make sure it doesn't happen again? And you try and come up with the solutions. So you're not just carrying on and, and going. If you see the wheels falling off for whatever reason, and it mightn't just be one session, but it might be over two weeks, you know, where you, where you see an athlete either failing to adapt or just burying themselves in a deep hole. It can be a whole number of different reasons mm. why that's happening. It could be, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend breakup. It could be they've got exams on. It could be mum and dad are splitting up at home. There's drama. You know, there's a whole yeah. bunch of different things that, you know, you need to delve into. It might be something simple like they didn't have breakfast or didn't have lunch that day and, and they just got no energy to complete the session. But when I see session after session after session for maybe a week or 10 days or two weeks where they're not backing up and doing a good job, I'll, you know, certainly be on it and I'll either give them a session off or I'll, I'll just change up what they're doing. I'll give them more aerobic work till I get to the bottom of, of what's happening. Mm. So I think, you know, you need to, you know, it's almost like you're a, a, a policeman interrogating yeah. a suspect. You know, you need to try and get to the bottom of what the problem is there in front of you. You mentioned, you know, the aerobic work. For, for an IM swimmer, is the aerobic work predominantly done as a medley set or do you have a, a freestyle set that you do to make sure they're, they're fit? Yeah, I think it's everything, you know what I mean? It's not just doing medley stuff. Like I, in my opinion, the medley work, the switching of the strokes is the best way to get fit. Like, you know, we're doing probably 60%, even the backstroke people like Emily Siebenlow is going a lot of medley work. I think at the start of the season, it's the greatest way of building fitness very quickly. So, you know, dropping the cycles, doing switching work from one stroke to the other um, is a great way of getting swimmers fit. So not only in freestyle, but doing it uh, as medley, doing it as swim kick pull work, doing it as kick swim work, just a combination of different ways and uh, means, I think, to try and build that aerobic base back up. But my measure of aerobic fitness is how well the athletes handle short rest interval work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how easily the girls can get, for instance, down to 115 cycle, not just making 115 cycle, but making it with comfort. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the set might be just 10 or 15 100s on 115 and, you know, someone like uh, Emma McKean, I'll, I'll, I'll look at her, um, I'll look at her distance per stroke, I'll look at her between reps of 100s to see how heavy her breathing is. It's something that's quite a crude measure, but I think it's very accurate. You know, if she's touching the wall in between the hundreds and struggling to get oxygen in, you know, is she in control? Is she not in control? How how easy is she doing that? Um, you know, she's swimming, eight, uh, you know, 108s, 109s, 110s. If I can see her heart rate sitting around that 140, 150 mark, I'm very confident that, um, you know, Emma's at a very good sort of aerobic level of fitness from there. And I do the same thing with kick. Mm. You know, when I can see them doing, you know, maybe 10 100s of kick on a short cycle, and making it and making it well, like you don't want to see them, if their short rest cycle, for instance, is 140, you don't want to see them starting at 130 and finishing at 139 and their yeah, face yeah. red, blue, purple, green, every colour under the sun when they finished. <laughs> you want to see that control, you know. Yeah. And the way that I try and explain it to my swimmers is, you know, you've got to have the ability to transport oxygen well. If you haven't got that great oxygen transportation system, when we come to doing the quality work later in the season, you're going to fall over if that great aerobic base isn't built. And I think if your athletes understand that, like this is why we're doing the big sets of 300s and 400s and 200s and doing all this long endurance work, it's to really try and increase that capillarization to try and make you a more efficient carrier of oxygen through your body. And I think if they get that and they buy into it, they'll do a much better job. But if you just put up, a series of you know six four hundreds on the board and just go right here we go let's go yeah you won't get as good a job you need to be able to put in layman's terms be able to explain to your athletes just give them an overview you haven't got to go into any great depth but just you know telling them you know we're trying to build a great base and this great great base that you build is going to help us later in the season um, and the example I use and it's, it's it's sort of embarrassing for Chris Wright when I say this because Chris as you know, was an Olympian in 2012, and yeah. like us all, he's put on a few kilos and everything else. And I say to my swimmers, "There's nothing changed about Chris in terms of his ability. He's a, you know, still an Australian representative. You know, he's an Olympian in the hundred fly. He's been 51, mm. but an athlete that's untrained and has has got a poor aerobic base like Chris has at the moment, 
if he was to get in and do 1650s, he'd go okay for the first one or two. <laughs> yeah. But then the last 12 or 1450s, he wouldn't be able to make him butterfly. You know, he'd be terrible mm. because his aerobic level of fitness is terrible. He's carrying a bit of weight and everything else, but his aerobic level of fitness, the lactic acid that he's building up is just accumulating. It's not removing because his aerobic level of fitness isn't very good. And I think the kids are able to grasp what you're talking about when you can put it in layman's terms like that. So giving them an understanding of, you know, the basic physiology, and I think your athletes will do a much better job if you can explain in very basic terms what you're setting out to try and achieve. Mate, you mentioned this sort of, you know, building your capacities. What What's, you know, most important at a youth level, do you think? Is it developing the capacities or is it technique? I think I'll always say technique. I think technique is the most important thing as far as I'm concerned, but it works hand in glove with everything else. You can't just work technique on its own. It's getting the swimmers firstly working with technique and for the coaches that are out there in 25-metre pools, I think that's your best avenue, I think, to, to work with technique, like being in a short pool, they're swimming for 15 or 20 seconds and they come up and you can make comment about their stroke straight away. I think 25-metre pools are kind of best, in my opinion, for doing that. Mm. Um, but establishing great technique, and once they've got good, efficient technique, it's it's doing the other stuff from there, trying to give them that good aerobic base. I think, you know, the young sub-13-year-old swimmer has got a great ability to really get, them in, uh, get themselves in great shape in terms of their aerobic fitness. Um, it's a great window of time that prepubescent time for them to, you know, really develop that strong aerobic base. And I think coupled with technique work, giving them a good aerobic base, I wouldn't be worried about too much how super fast they're swimming at 10 years of age or 11 years of age. Um, you know, if you go through the record books and look at all the, you know, Queensland record holders that are currently there, like nine out of 10 of them haven't gone on to um, – you know, do things internationally as a 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old. Mm. So we know that, you know, swimming super-duper fast at 9 or 10 um, isn't a definite necessity in order to be great at the end. There are swimmers that have done it. Hayley Lewis was one, but they're few and far between. You know, you normally find that, um, you know, your <clears throat> 11 and under, 12 and under races are predominantly won by people that are physically superior. They're yeah. bigger, they're stronger, they've got their maturation a little bit earlier. Um, but once those things start to balance out, I think the people that have got good technique, they've got, uh, you know, they're not not wanting to train. You know, their attitude, their commitment, their enthusiasm for swimming is very high because they haven't been pu pushed too hard too young are the ones that are kind of setting themselves up to, to go on and do good things later on in their swimming career. Hey, give us a little insight into uh, what a week of training should look like, say, for an intermediate swimmer, say, around the age of 13, 14, 15. How would you structure, you know, a macro cycle? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, 13 to 15 years of age, I, you know, I, I'm a believer in, um, I guess, progressive overload. So Joe King, that coach I was mentioning before, mm. used to say he didn't like swimmers 12 and under doing any more than one session a day. So your 12-year-olds might do sort of six sessions a week, Monday through Saturday, one a day. But when they get to 13, when they get to that grade eight, uh, they can start to do more double sessions. So you might go from six sessions as, uh, with a 13-year-old to seven or eight. Um, and on a weekly basis, my, my dog's going berserk here. Get away. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. My yeah, daughter's right. been screaming inside for the last half an hour, so it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, I think, you know, you start to add a couple of more sessions on when they get to that 13 years of age. And I think, in my opinion, during the school holidays, I think a 13-year-old can do nine sessions a week and it's not going to hurt them because during the day they're able to come back and, and rest and recover through the day. But when they got a full, full day of school, I think you've got to be a little bit more careful with what you're doing with those 13-year-olds. Mm. But I'd be sort of sitting around that, sort of 5k mark like you know sort of 5k you know, i think you know during the school term is an adequate amount of work to be doing um you know maybe six times a week for a 13 year old and as they start to get a little bit older 14 you might go up to sort of eight sessions 15 year old, you might go to nine sessions then you might go up to 10 sessions if you're a coach that works 10 sessions like we do predominantly 
nine sessions with our guys, but if I had anyone that was sort of 400 up to 1,500, I'd be looking at doing maybe 10 sessions a week. So that's that's just my, my sort of belief. But what we normally do for those younger guys is on the Monday morning it might be some sort of descend series, you know, where they might be working, for instance, a set where they're going, it might be something like three 300s, three 200s, mm-hmm. the 300s on 430, which is 130 base, the 200s on three minutes, uh, and they might descend on those one to three. So they go, you know, one at maybe 50 beats below their maximum heart rate, one at 40 beats below, one at 30 beats below, and they work through that for 300s and 200s. Mm-hmm. And then the second round I do with that might be, the 300s might be done as 100 swim, 100 kick, 100 pull, uh, descending one to three again. And then the 200s might be kick, swim, 100 kick, 100 swim, but just getting in to, to uh, descend. Yeah. And I guess my premise behind that is they've had a day and a half off out of the water Saturday afternoon and all day Sunday. So most kids come in Monday morning, not all of them, but a lot of kids come in Monday morning being a little bit rusty because they've been out of the water. So what I'm trying to do on the Monday morning is spike their heart rate just to clear any residual lactate or just to get the bugs out, you know, just to clean the pipes out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So 50 below, 40 below, 30 below, just touching on that 30 below. Then on the next repeat, going back down to 50 below. So working more aerobic, but as a descend set on that Monday morning, then the Monday afternoon might be a main set. And if you're talking about medley, you know, like a heart rate set of medley, um, you know, it can be anything really. I'm just trying to think as I'm as I'm talking to you. It might be. I'm trying to think back to some of the stuff Steph might do. It might be something like um, you know three 100s and a 200. So the three 100s might be fly to back, back to breast, breast to free, where they're working through the the uh, medley, but doing it as hundreds. Mm-hmm. And then they might just do a 200 medley, a straight 200 medley on the end of it. Um, and they might do 100 on two minutes after that and work through that four times, something like that. So three 100s, fly to back on the first, back to breast on the second, breast to free, and then we might do a 200 medley uh, after that, 100 easy. So what's that? That's three, 500, 600, four times three, so 2,400 metres, but obviously 100 metres is easier that between the blocks of 500 metres, and we're getting... You know, Stephanie's heart rate might be up around 170 to 190. She's working through pretty solid. Mm. Uh, on on uh, that, the hundreds won't be far away from her race pace. So if you look at the second 50 of a butterfly in an actual competition, she'd want to be at that speed on the first 50 of fly and then swimming the backstroke at about 34 seconds, which is what her race pace was for the Fauna medley. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the back to breast, she did the same thing. Try and work pretty close to race pace for the 400-minute medley as she's working through that. And what we do on the 200 medley at the end of each block of three ones, we might do that as a descend. So the 200s, might, she might start at 232. The next one, it might be 228, 226, and she might get down to 220 or 221 on that last round. Uh, so that might be the Monday night, Tuesday morning, uh, she might go either a kick set or a pull set. And as I said earlier on, the pull set was usually freestyle, but she might do it backstroke. Um, if we felt her backstroke pull needed a little bit more work on that backstroke pull, she might do a combination of pull with the pull boy in and band. Yep. And we might pull the pull boy out and do some of it band only because I think that's a really good way of, of trying to get that good core connection, taking the pull boy out and doing arm work without the legs via the band. I think that's very good. So the Tuesday morning was a bit of a recovery one, I guess, because the Monday night was quite tough. Tuesday night we do work that we call lactate production or removal work. Um, Not all removal, lactate production slash removal work. So the series might be something like 850s, medley order, two of each on 60, where she had to hold... Uh, PB plus six seconds of a best for 50 fly was, uh, you know, 26. Uh, uh, yeah, if a best for fly was 26, she'd have to swim about 32 speed. So not not all that challenging, not all that hard, but the set built as you went through. So it might be eight fifties on the minute, PB plus six, followed by four 100s that were done at 40 beats below. They were all freestyle on 130. 
then she'd swim off 100 easy. Then the next set of 850s, she'd go medley order again at a faster speed, mm-hmm. PB plus four. So the lactate and the speed were building, getting faster and higher as she was going through. Uh, and the four 100s um, we do is maybe descend. This time they'd be on 145 instead of 130, and she'd get faster as she went through. She'd go maybe on the first 100 of freestyle, 68, then she'd go 65, 63, then maybe 60 on the last one. So she'd force the removal on those four 100s on the middle set, and we'd swim 100 easy, and she'd go 850 is essentially best average. So the difference in the 50s where the speed was getting quicker with each set, plus six on the first set, plus four on the second set, and the third set was usually done at plus three, if she could handle plus three. Mm. And the cycles for those 50s would get bigger. So she'd go the first set of 850s on the minute, the second set of 850s she'd do on 70, so an extra 10 seconds rest. And then the last set where she's going really fast, we'd do on 120 on, on 80 seconds. And right at the end, the four 100s would be at 40 beats below again. And she'd normally be able to hold around about 107s, mm. 106s on those on a 130 cycle. So that's an example of, you know, what we call lactate production removal work. Right. Obviously, the 50s are producing the lactate and the 100s are removing. So as a coach, I want to see her doing a good job on the 50s. We want to see speed generating on the 50s, but the 100s are just as important as the, as the 50s to me. I want to see good speed on those 100s, um, you know, so we know that she's, you know, when she's swimming with a, a body full of lactate, she's still able to, you know, to remove and hold relatively good speeds on those removal hundreds at the end of it. Um, so that's just one example, and I wouldn't always do the same thing. I'd try and change it up and mix it up as I went through. Wednesday was a bit of a recovery day, so it was very light aerobic. Wednesday might be a swim kick pull set. It might have been a set of, you know, 200s with a young swimmer. You might work through, you know, nine twos or... 12 twos, one swim, one kick, one pull, with the cycle slightly reduced down as you go through. Um, uh, Thursday morning, we'd normally go technique work. So we'd work through and do, as our main part of what we did, some drill work. And I think, you know, for young guys, it's good to do that. Uh, for a medley swimmer, you know, it might be four sets of 850s where they went 850s of fly drill, eight back, eight breast, eight free. Um the Thursday afternoon was normally a quality set, like a lactate tolerance type set. Mm-hmm. I think the example I gave you earlier on was 1650s, I think. Yep. You know, with the younger one, you might drop it down to 8 or 12, might be enough for those younger sort of 13-year-olds. You know, 8 or 1250s might be okay to do with those guys. I think, you know, what you're trying to do is, is, is stress these young 13-year-olds uh, and get them, you know, working pretty solid. Um and, you know, you'll, you'll find the really competitive ones when you start writing times up on the board and working out averages. The next time they do the set, they want to try and hold a little bit faster. Mm. So I think I think that's really, um, yeah, that's really good to do as well. Uh, where are we? First afternoon, Friday was our recovery day. So it's really just working through light work on the Friday morning, just very, very general. Kilometres might be a little bit down and really getting him ready for a nice job on the Saturday morning. So Saturday morning, we'd normally finish up with our, you know, whether it's the 13-year-olds or 15 or 16, it might be some broken swims. It might be four broken 200s or five broken 200s. Or if you're working for the 400 medley, it might be four broken 400s. Um, and that and that might finish your, your week up. So we, we'd normally work four main sets when you summarise it. Monday night is like a heart rate type set. Tuesday night a little bit of production removal work, Thursday night's the quality stuff, and then Saturday morning's the broken stuff to finish the week off. Mate, in terms of, and I just want to sort of touch on a few of those those sessions, in terms of understanding and knowing your athletes, is it important to, you know, in terms of if we're sitting there doing, you know, those 850s and, and they're not hitting, you know, the targets that you, you, you were hoping they would be at, do you take the foot off the pedal a little bit if you, if you don't think they're at where they need to be? I'll probably usually know. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think you've just got to be able to read your athlete. If you yeah. see, you know, a young 13-year-old crying on the side of the pool or whatever, then I think you've got to adjust. But I sort of like seeing them 
I sound like a sadist. <laughs> I like seeing a struggle. Yeah. Like I, I like them having to struggle and, and fight their way out of it. So I think there's been a lot of examples over the years where, um, you know, you've seen someone start a main set and they're very ordinary, but by about the sixth or seventh fifty, all of a sudden they're a second off their best time. It just takes them a while to warm up sometimes. Mm. So you've got to be careful not to pull the plug too early. Yeah. I think what you've got to look for is if you see someone, if that's their third or fourth bad session in a row, there's usually something wrong. So that's when you might adjust um, and, and, and maybe try something else. What about racing? You know, should uh, our young athletes at the moment be competing in all individual events or just medley? For the medley, summer, I think they've got to be racing in, in all events. Like Bill Sweetenham, I guess, taught me um, – all the way along, both as a swimmer and a coach, you know, you need to be racing. Racing, if you're a 400 meter medley swimmer, racing in 200s of fly, backstroke, breaststroke, and freestyle during the season, you know, swimming in them quite a lot. And that really helps the development of your 400 medley. And I think the 200 medley, it's the same, you know, getting up at at meets, you know, if they're meets that, you know, are very early season that don't really mean, uh, you know, mean much, I think it's, it's getting up and racing and everything. And then obviously as the important meets start to come away. So a 13 year old, for them, the Queensland championships are a huge meet and you wouldn't have them swimming perhaps in everything at that meet. You might just have them swimming in their best events. Um, you know, if the medley swimmer is, if their best stroke is butterfly, they might do the 102 and a butterfly and the two and the 400 medley. Um, but if they've got, you know, two say outstanding best strokes, you might try and extend the program for there. But I think, you know, as they get older, I think uh, they're not able to back up quite as well when they sort of go away to meets like nationals and that sort of stuff. So I think you've got to be a little bit more selective with what they're racing in and competing in mm. as they get a bit older. But I think when they're younger, when they're around that 13, sort of 14, 15, they're really bulletproof and they're able to, to get up and swim and everything. I, I can still remember Ian Thorpe as a, as a young 14-year-old getting up and absolutely cleaning everyone up in every event, every distance, every <laughs> stroke, he was just incredible. And as he got older, he started to swim less and less of the other things. Like he came back and did a bit of medley towards the end of his career. He got down to a quite a good one. But if you go back through the age groups and look at his backstroke and his butterfly, they were outstanding when yeah. he was a, a young age group swimmer. But as he got older, he became a bit more, more specific. I think Mitch Larkin, who – we had at St Peter's there for quite a few years. He came as a backstroke medley swimmer and we just looked at the opportunities for 2012 and 2016 and we could see opportunities more in the backstroke than the medley. You know, when you've got Ryan Lock and Michael Phelps, it's, you know, very difficult in the medley to pursue those races. You know, they were the guys that were on fire in those years. So in chasing medals at Olympics, we sort of made the decision with him to to put his medley on hold for a while and really try and get his backstroke going. But now he's got his medley going again and his medley is, is, is looking as good as his backstroke at the moment. Dean's doing a great job with it. Mate, you've led me straight to it. You know, we've seen you develop Mitch Lark and Stephanie Rice to be, you know, world-class medley swimmers, but, you know, both are world-class in, in individual strokes. So, Mitch, obviously, you touched on there with the backstroke, and Steph was a great butterflyer. What do you yeah. see as some of the key factors to be uh, world-class? World-class in what, in, in any stroke or in medley specifically? Or I think just in any stroke, a, a world-class swimmer. Oh, there's just so many things. Like I, I call them the ducks in a row, <laughs> and you just got to try and line up as many of those ducks uh, as you can. And I think I, I touched on a few of them before. I think you know mental toughness. Like it's 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 easy, it's easy to swim fast when you're at the Queensland Championships. But as the level gets higher and the stakes become higher, it gets harder and harder to get the best out of yourself. And you know, even going from a from a Commonwealth Games, stepping up to a World Championships is a huge jump. Mm. But going from a World Championships to an Olympics, it's almost twice as hard at the Olympics to do well as it is at a World Championships. Yeah. So the Olympics is obviously the epitome. And if you're, if you're not mentally tough because things are going to go wrong, you know, you're trying to get a predictable outcome in a very unpredictable environment. You know, you're going into a village situation where there's people keeping you up at night, doors slamming, the food's not what you'd normally eat. The beds are normally terrible. 
Uh, when we were in Rio, we were going to the toilet and the paper you used, you'd put in the bin beside the toilet. That wasn't collected for every, you know, every day. It was every two or three days oh. and the lifts were breaking and the lines for the buses and the air conditioning wasn't working and the hot water wasn't, you know, all the things that, <laughs> yeah. so if you're not mentally tough, if you can't, you know, rise to the challenge of being in an environment like that, don't even bother going to the Olympics because it's, 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 it's like you've never experienced before. So I, I put that first and foremost, mental toughness has got to be good. I think, um, you know, you've got to have enthusiasm. Like I think, you know, all the people that I've been lucky enough to have success with, like you see it all, um, you know, you see them very much so, like very enthusiastic. I often tell the story about Stephanie before Beijing, five or six weeks before we were doing a session. We started out with a 30-minute core session before we got in. We did six or seven kilometres in the pool, and during the swim down, Steph says to me, can you stick around and do an extra 20 minutes of med ball with me? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, no problem at all. And we're going along, and I've looked at my watch, and she's been going for like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Yeah. And I've had to go, Step, that's enough. And, you know, she wanted to keep going for an hour. But, you know what I mean? Like, they've got that enthusiasm where they're willing to pay the price. It's not the coach that's leading. It's the athlete asking the coach to do extra. So I think, you know, that extra, people that are prepared to do extra, I think that's a common common sort of thread as well. Um, you know, at the end of training, someone that's getting up and going, you know, Bowler, can you look at my starts? Can you look at my turns? Can you look at my finishes? Not through me saying anything, but through them kind of taking it off their own bat. They, they realise they've got to do work on their starts or, the, or work on their turns while everyone else is sort of packing their gear away and, and putting their warm clothes on at the moment. The ones that have got that enthusiasm uh, and that great attitude and are prepared to do that little bit extra when everyone else is sort of, uh, you know, packing away and ready to go home. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that enthusiasm is very important. Someone that's coachable is very important as well. I yeah. think... Um, you know, they've got to be willing to take on board what you're saying. Um, you know, there's been a number of athletes, I guess, over the years that have come in at 20, 21, 22, 23, older athletes, and you wonder why they come in because what you say to them sometimes, it's almost like you're talking to a statue. They're not taking in what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I think to myself, you know, why have these people come if they're not willing to make that change? You know, they've got to be willing to make a change into what they're doing if they want to get to the next level. So I think they've got to be coachable. Um, The good swimmers that I've coached over the years internationally have, um, you know, have kind of, I guess, been curious to try and find ways to get better, you know, if their turns or their starts, looking at getting people in from biomechanics to come in and film and review and, and, uh, you know, keep working with them in order to try and fix any perceived problems that they've got. Uh, if I think of someone specifically at the moment, you know, Emma, at the 2019 World Championships, um, there was a girl there came from Canada, came from nowhere. She was a 57-plus hundred fly coming into the meet, <laughs> and she's pulled a 55-7 or 55-8 out, just went past everyone, including the world record holder, Sarah Sjostrom. Sarah and when you look at the analysis from the race, from the turn, so from the 50-metre mark to the 60-metre mark, she was 0.6 or 0.7 of a second better than every other swimmer, not just Emma. Yeah. All the other seven swimmers, there was 0.1 between them from 50 to 60 metres. This girl was 0.7 in front of everyone. So, you know, your takeaway from that is, as a swimmer and as a coach, I've got to do a better job for Tokyo on my underwater skill to catch up to this girl that's a mile in front of the rest of the world. Mm. So, you know, we thought her underwater was at a good level, but the rest of the world, like this girl from Canada now, has taken it to a different level. So if Emma's going to be competitive in the 100 butterfly, we've got to do a lot of work on her underwater skill. Mm. We thought it was good, but it's got to get better. <laughs> and, you know, she's understood that. Yeah. She knows and she's leading from the front in order to try and get that better. Hey, you've led me I to think- it in terms of, uh, you know, uh, race planning and 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 what the you know you and the athletes talk about in terms of what they need to go out and execute. Could you break down a, a race plan for us, say for Steph or, or Mitch, what they needed to do in a two hundred IM and and sort of what you wanted them to hit and sort of break it down for us. Yeah, I think you know I'm I'm sort of big on you know being focused on on what you've got to do yourself. Um, like I think. 
you know, with Steph, she obviously had a fair bit of opposition coming into the Olympics in 2008. Katie Hoff was the world record holder. I think 12 months before at 2007 World Championships, Katie Hoff had beaten Steph by about nine or ten seconds in the 400 medley. Um, so I think it was a mistake for me to focus wholly and solely on what Katie Hoff was going to do. I think Steph had to be aware of where Katie Hoff, where she was going to be, but her whole race plan didn't go around Katie. It was really about worrying what Steph had to do. Mm. So we looked at Katie's splits and we just tried to to take those margins off certain legs. And it was in, uh, you know, in the particular, like I said before, it was the backstroke and the breaststroke or the ones that she had, uh, you know, to uh, get together. But I think, you know, before a race, right before the race, I think you've got to try and be concise and quite um, quite pointed with what you're saying. I think I sort of made the mistake when I first started coaching of, of talking too much to the athlete yeah. right before they swam and putting too much information in their head. Like all the hard work has been done you know, the previous six months or eight months, whatever the you know, sort of amount of time you spent preparing for the competition, they're all things that you've been working on and training. So it's really, I think as a coach, you know, talking about, you know, things like, you know, you've got to be out fast, but it's got to be relaxed. So the words we try and use in the first part of that medley, whether it's Mitch or Steph, is trying to get out with that relaxed speed or easy speed, some people call it. Mm-hmm. And you've got to watch, you know, that you don't, if you use the word easy, I think in some people's mind, <laughs> they'll yeah. get in and they'll swim easy, they'll be relaxed, but the time won't be fast. So, you know, you need speed. So the word I tend to like more is relaxed speed. You know, you want to see them get up and be out quite fast through the first part of that 200 medley or 400 medley, but it's got to be relaxed. Um, you know, Steph's 200 medley split was 27 through the first 50. Mitchie Larkin was normally around that 25 low mark. And, you know, I've seen Mitch before and I've seen Stephanie before go out in 27 or 25 respectively, but they've done it too tight. They forced it. Mm. And when they force that early part of their race, there's always a consequence. And the consequence is the last 50 or 75 metres, there's no gas left in the tank. So it's it's the ability to be able to swim fast, relax. That's what you've got to try and teach them. And that's what you spend, you know, the whole season doing, getting them to be fast, but to be fast as relaxed and efficiently as I possibly can. Michael, that, that so forced part, sorry to jump in because yeah. I, I just didn't want to miss the opportunity to ask the question. That forced part, is that a mental thing? Is that them sort of getting too psyched up and behind the blocks and then, you know, maybe as, as you said, and, and I've done it myself, the coaches may be talking too much and pushing the wrong buttons that the athletes are too fired up and then they go out a bit too hard. Yeah, you, you've got to be very, very careful of that. So it's, um, you know, what I sort of, you know, sort of often say, there's no such thing as going out too fast, but there is such a thing as going out too hard. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, Jacko and I were having discussion about Maddie Groves in uh, Rio on the Tour and a Butterfly, and after the semi, he said, oh, do you think she's going out a little bit too fast? I said, no, no Jack, I, I don't think she is. I, I think, you know, someone that swims 57 low, for 100 flies, should be going out in 59. She's doing it with a stroke rate that's very controlled and relaxed. So I know that she's going out with that relaxed speed. It's not force muscly speed. Yeah. I think, you know, you can see the difference as a coach. You know, sometimes you'll get the athletes up in training and you'll say, right, I want you to do a 50. All I want you doing is trying to swim at 9 out of 10. And you'll get them racing at 9 out of 10. And some of them will swim at PB. Mm-hmm. But you get them up to go maximum, they'll go half a second or a second slower yeah. because they forced it and muscled it. So I think it's that fine line sometimes between, you know, just being tight. You know, you want them relaxed and loose when they're swimming fast. And if you can get that, um, it's not all the time that you do get that as a swimmer or a coach. But when you can get them working fast with that relaxation, you'll find the back part of their races will be much, much better. Mate, what do you feel the best or the the key leg is in, in an IM race? Is it the breaststroke? Is it the backstroke? Or, you know, is it is it working towards someone's strengths? I think it's all the above. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, so like I was saying before, you know, internationally you cannot have a weakness. Like you look at the best 
Medley Simmers in the past, and you can just see some of them were better. Other, like Michael Phelps was awesome at fly back and three, but his breaststroke was good, but it wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, Dea Seto at the moment is very good at fly back and breast, but his freestyle isn't awesome. Chase Kalish, great at fly, awesome at breaststroke, solid at freestyle, but his backstroke's a, a little bit ordinary. Like, I think. You know, everyone's good at different things, but the person who's just more all-round at four strokes is going to have the advantage. I think you've got to be world-class or very near world-class in every single stroke. You can afford to have one that's not quite there, but when I say Michael Phelps' breaststroke isn't great, he'd, he'd probably swim 211 or 212 for a 200 breaststroke. That's so <laughs> yeah. still very good. Yeah. 206 is what the good guys are doing. So still very, very good not quite up to the you know, same level as everyone else. So I think, you know, you've got to work to the strengths that you've got. Like, it's no good when Stephanie was swimming, like, worrying about Katie Hoff, who's, a, who's like a four-minutes freestyler. Steph can't be worrying about Katie Hoff coming home really fast in that last hundred while she's on the butterfly leg. You know, Steph's got to think about the butterfly leg, getting out, nice grippy stroke, riding high, being relaxed, not overusing the legs and saving the legs in that fauna medley for the last last 200 metres, you know, where she'll really need it through the breaststroke and freestyle. So I think you've got to be aware of the other swimmers that are in the race. I sort of call uh, call things back of mind, front of mind. I think your opposition's got to be in the back of your mind, but in the front of your mind's got to be your own performance and just executing the way that you've been doing it in training. Nothing changes the day you race. Everything's the same. You've just got to make sure you're focused on what you've got to do. And if you do a great job and execute well – then gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals, whatever you may be set to achieve, will all look after themselves. Mm. But the only person's performance that you've got control over is your own. We 100% agree with you. Now, mate, we're about to wrap it all up. But the last question I want to ask you is, if there's any coaches out there that are listening to this and, and much the same as myself, they might have young athletes in their squads that they, they see as potential, um, you know, stars in medley. Because as you said, you know, perhaps they're, they've, they're really uh, good at all four strokes. What suggestions do you have to those guys in developing medley swimmers within their program? Well, I think it's it's really an ideal time. Like, in my mind, the medley, without any disrespect to the people who are doing it now, the, the level's not great, um, and we need people really stepping up in both the 200 and the 400 medley. Like, there's just odd sprinklings of people, uh, you know, Seabomb Lee, uh, Brendan Smith from Victoria and the boys, the girls. I'm just having trouble thinking in that 400 medley. Obviously, you've got Kaylee McEwen in the 200 medley is coming through very rapidly. But the 400-metre medley, there's not a lot of people coming through. I think the opportunities are really there for someone to grab hold of them. If I was working with a young 12- or 13-year-old swimmer, it's it's just identifying, I guess, and looking at, uh, you know, where you can make the most gains, um, you know, with that athlete. Like looking at your athlete as an individual and as a case-by-case -case sort of scenario there, looking at what you can do as a coach to make that athlete better. If you've got someone who's doing an awesome job uh, on their distance stuff in training, they're just making great aerobic cycles and everything else, but when you get up to do the quality work, nothing's there. Mm. I think it's trying to get that person a little bit sharper and faster. I think, you know, it's just trying to find the balance. Some people balance more towards the 400-800 the <laughs> if, if, if they're a 400-minute medley. So and there's other people who probably prefer the 100-200 medley, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's trying to stretch both people, like the more distance-orientated people, try and get them, try and get their speed a little bit better. Mm. The speed people you've got in your program who are falling away at the end of races, you've got to try and get their endurance better. I know, um, you know, I often think of, you know, Kieran Perkins changed the way people swam 1500s. Like Kieran, when he got going and started to break world records, just took it out. Like he'd be out in 153, the first 200 of a 1500. Yeah. Just an unbelievable, and it, it set up distance swimming from, you know, now, now it's the same. Yeah. And we look at all those guys in the 1500, they're all doing Sunyan, 200s, 400s, as, as a, you know, sort of as well as doing the 15. Like speed to me has really started to come through, just the importance of being able to, um, you know, sprint really well 
uh, has become more sort of apparent to me. So with the athletes that I was working with at 13 or 14, it's just trying to find where their balance is and if their weaknesses are in the speed area or the distance area, I'd be looking at trying to to get that area going better, if that if that makes any sense to you. 100% so, does. Yeah, yeah. So just looking at the athlete as an individual, talking to the athlete and, and just thinking about the future, like I tried to do with Stephanie at 15, Steph, in three years' time at the Olympics, these are probably the people you're going to be racing against. If you want to get yourself world-class, this is what you need to get better, that backstroke and breaststroke is the bit you're falling short on. So if you've got a 13-year-old who's trying to be the top medley swimmer in WA, Victoria, South Australia, Queensland, doesn't matter, New South Wales, wherever it is, it's looking at what the best people are doing. And if you want to bridge the gaps, here's what their splits are. It's very easy to get people's splits from last year's state titles or nationals. Mm. If you want to be competitive, this is what you've got to get down to. And these are the things I think that you need to do in order to make that happen. Uh, you know, so like I said before, if they're enduring well but their speed's not good, don't throw away the endurance stuff you're doing, but try and put more demand on the swimmer when you're doing the speed stuff. I think a lot of coaches go, oh, look, they're just no good at sprinting. Yeah. But I think if you work that system, it'll get better. There's a very good South African swimmer from years ago called Rick Neithling, who mm-hmm. was a medalist in the Commonwealth Games in the 1500. He was a 1500-meter swimmer his whole career. At the 2004 Olympics, he was part of the 4 by one South African gold medal winning relay team. Yeah. Uh, at the uh, – what, what Olympics were they? At Athens? At the Athens Olympics. Oh, yeah, 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 2004. So I think, you know, people can shift and they can change, but you need to be working that system in training. And conversely, if you've got someone who's doing an awesome job at the speed side of things, but they're falling away the back half of the medley, you need to make sure you're doing a little bit more on that aerobic training to try and, them, uh, try and get that aerobic system a little bit more efficient. So it's, it's really looking at your kids. Like I think back when I was swimming, whether you were swimming in the 50 free or the 1500 free, the coaches in those days just gave everyone the same stuff. Whereas I think the coach in 2020 needs to be able to look within the group they've got mm-hmm. and you've got people in there that are maybe distance swimmers, middle distance swimmers and sprinters and you need to be giving them you know, the appropriate work in order to try and develop those swimmers to their full potential. So I think it's one of the things you as a coach need to keep a sharp eye on. You know, people in your group, Look at their strengths, maintain the strengths, but try and get their weaknesses that little bit better. And if you find you're getting those weaknesses a little bit better, you're going to make yourselves a little bit more competitive, which I think is what we're setting out to do. Mate, I think we'll wrap it up there. That was perfect. Thank you very much, mate, for agreeing to come on and and be a part of the the series podcast and let us sit under your learning tree for a little bit. I've thoroughly enjoyed it myself, and hopefully it wasn't too bad for you either, mate. So once again, thank you very much. (laughs) Happy to help. Good luck to everyone out there. Thanks very much for having me on.